Welcome to the Artists Podlight Podcast. I'm your host, Sydney George. I'm joined here today by my co-hosts, Anne Martinez and Marnie Birmingham. Today we're shining our podlight on Montana artist, Nancy Caudry. Nancy, thanks for having us to your gallery today. You're very welcome. Thrilled to be here and have you on our show. Um, I've read that you grew up traveling extensively and have had experienced exotic cultures throughout your childhood. How did those travel experiences lay the foundation for you as an artist? Great question. Okay, well, my earliest memories are of crawling on Persian rugs in Damascus, Syria. So my dad worked in embassies all over the world. He was in the army, but I think they call it, uh, he was in the intelligence part okay. of that after World War II. So we were assigned to Damascus, Syria to the embassy and Oman, Jordan, and eventually Saudi Arabia. Um, so yes, all those early experiences definitely had an impact on me. Uh, from the earliest time I can remember, the patterns of things fascinated me. And I sort of think it might be the Persian rug thing. I mean, I, my mom said I used to kind of, even when I was crawling, I would, I would just trace the path around the borders of the Persian rugs and that gorgeous mm. art form mm. that has been in the Middle East for thousands of years. So that was certainly part of part of the early days. I also remember walking through fields of anemones, which are very much like a poppy. Okay. Uh, and they're brilliant red. Mm -hmm. And I was shorter at age three and four than I am now, obviously. And I remember walking through that, it was just all red up here. And I was a redhead, uh, not a bright redhead, but anyway, this, I, those things those things affect you and impact you. Red's always been sort of my favorite color. It doesn't look like it today, but um, eventually was in high school. We came back to the US and we were in Pennsylvania for a little while, Washington State for a little while, outside of DC for a little while, but then went back to Europe, graduated from high school in Germany went to school in Paris for two years, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. It was actually the most economical choice for my parents who had five children. Oh, and okay. I was only number two for them to put through school. So four hours from Frankfurt to Paris, they were in Frankfurt. I, was, I went to school in Paris and had a wonderful two years there, having had lots okay. of French in high school. Oh, okay. And used, I was also very used to hearing foreign language and I kind of liked it. I liked the sound of it, I'm a good mimic. Uh -huh. So I would try Arabic, I would try mm -hmm. German when I was in high school there. I would, yeah, engage myself in the culture wherever I was. And it was pretty wonderful. Wow. Yeah. What a way to grow up. It was pretty <laughs> awesome. You know, I, and I think everybody has different experiences. My older sister was not as keen on it and as she didn't totally enjoy all of it. I think it was stressful for her. Mm -hmm. For some reason, it was not stressful. Mm -hmm. Maybe being number two, I wasn't in charge a lot. <laughs> you know, I just had to tech, just be there. Uh-huh. Yeah, so. So did you always love to paint? Or can you talk about your evolution as an artist? Sure. I, first, art materials probably were those giant boxes of crayons. Mm -hmm. My mom said I tore all the paper off each crayon <laughs> because I didn't just like working with the end okay. of the crayon. I liked working with the whole side wow. of the crayon to make bigger, mm -hmm. bigger marks. So yeah, crayons. And the good news is my mom would find somebody in that area, like the British consulate's wife, who did a bit of watercolor. <laughs> and she would say, would you work with my eight-year-old daughter, my 10-year-old daughter, whatever age I was? And 
see if this is something she might enjoy. Uh, she found us a pastel person. She eventually found an oil person. I don't think we had any acrylics back then. Not much anyway. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the 50s. Yeah. But I, yes, those people helped me get started anyway in uh, making paintings, making mm -hmm. pictures. I, I don't think I called them paintings. That word has also fascinated me for because it's an ing word. Okay. You know, it's a process as opposed to a finished thing. Sure. I always just liked making pictures. I liked making pictures, and eventually, I had the guts to call them paintings. <laughs> but what probably the earliest uh, studying art in Paris, I did painting. It was in the '60s, but it was a very self-indulgent time, mm -hmm. I think, uh, especially in the American art world. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's. Lichtenstein and all mm -hmm. these acrylic things which are now cracking and falling apart mm -hmm. and so forth um, and very abstracted work and I really always like the form of things mm -hmm. I like the form of things I like the three-dimensionality of things mm -hmm. of animals of people of buildings of whatever so I sort of wasn't part of that whole 60s movement okay uh, and I learned watercolor Fairly soon after college, we, my husband and I lived in England. We were married over there. And I worked with a watercolorist who did absolutely beautiful, tonally simple watercolors. And the British are some of the best watercolors, mm -hmm. I think. I think Winslow Homer thought so too, and so did John Singer Sargent and mm -hmm. all those characters. And I started doing watercolor with one color, Payne's Gray, for a whole year. Uh, because that was the advice I was given by this man, Tom Greenshields, who never became a super well-known artist in Britain, but very well-respected artist and sculptor who studied at the Slade School of Art. Okay. So he was a great mentor for me in my early 20s. And I worked in Payne's Gray, so I learned good value, composition, okay. form. And that's really what was missing in my college art years, even mm -hmm. in Paris. So, wow. you know, they, they sort of said, paint what you feel. I said, I'm 17. I don't know what I feel. Yeah. <laughs> I feel all kinds of things. You really want me to try to put that <laughs> You know, and, and I didn't know enough about the color wheel and form and value and composition mm -hmm. to really do anything much. But I have to tell you, first trip home from Paris to Frankfurt, I was 17. I had two paintings kind of lashed together to carry them on the train. I went to the bath, asked the people in the train car, to keep an eye on them, please. I went to the restroom, came back, and they were gone. Oh no! And I was so flattered that <laughs> <laughs> somebody thought they were good enough. <laughs> but I was also a little disappointed because I couldn't show Ma and Pa what I've been working on for you know with their hard-earned money that I was in school with. So, but I was pretty flattered. Yes. And one day I hope they show up on, you know, they find oh them in Uncle God. Emile's attic or something. Great Uncle Emile, maybe. <laughs> who stole them, stole away. Who knows what happened to them? But my name, Nancy Dunlop, is on there. Okay. And I do try to put that name back in there because I'm hoping one day they'll yes. turn up. That would be great. Oh, what a Wouldn't that story. be fun? Somebody yeah. contact me and say, hey, we have. I remember what the paintings were of, but. Uh, it could happen. It could happen. It could happen. Internet. Internet. It could happen. That's exactly media. right. That's exactly right. What a good story. Yeah. You have become famous for your spirited silk paintings. Mm -hmm. How did you first come to paint on silk? And maybe I'm not describing that. No, they are silk paintings. 
Uh, please don't call them tie-dye paintings. I've had a few oh, people do that. I would not do that. And no, 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 no. It's, somebody said one time, I really like your tie-dye paintings. And I, was, I was sort of the deer in the headlights, not knowing what, how to respond to that one, because it's a very different process. Silk painting, after having done watercolor, starting in Britain, and I did watercolor for probably a good 15, 20 years first. And I think watercolor is the toughest medium uh, to master. Uh, it's also the least toxic in a lot of good ways. Mm -hmm. So you can do it on your kitchen counter. But I did watercolor, I worked with triads. I, I, as I say, I painted for a year with Payne's Gray. But all of that background helped me when I then found silk painting on a camping trip in Hawaii. I saw these small, very uh, colorful paintings and they looked like water media and I kind of would lean into them and say, gosh, what is this painted on? And it was on silk, a heavy novelty silk. And I thought, wow, with transparent dye. So I found the lady who did them. Uh, they were fairly primitive. They were volcanoes and sunsets and petroglyphs. And I said, would you be willing to spend the afternoon with me and I'll pay you for your time to show me this medium? Because it's very compelling color-wise. I was just, I was very uh, attracted to the color. And I was at a certain age in my life as a woman that I wanted to be more expressive mm -hmm. with color mm -hmm. and move on from the paint spray, you know, move on from the very limited palette, which was a good, good foundation. But I, wow, I, these silk dyes were so vibrant, so wonderful. So she did spend the afternoon with me. Mm -hmm. Best 40 bucks I ever spent, <laughs> I can tell you. And I did a hibiscus, I think, with a uh, Hawaiian sky, mm -hmm. and it was great fun. And I said, wow, this is really fun. It wasn't too long after that. I think I tried a cowgirl in honor of my grandmother, Stella, and it sold right away. I thought, wow, that doesn't happen with watercolor, and it doesn't always happen with oil painting. But for whatever reason, the color, it was women generally who were attracted to it with the color, I think. And the rest is sort of history. I mean, uh, I have to say, yeah, I mean, I so I started doing lots of cowgirls, and that's people. People still say to me, "Oh, you're the one that paints cowgirls." I said, "Well, yeah, <laughs> but I do flowers and I do Venice, and I do a lot of that. like Tom Gillian yeah. will tell you, he the doesn't TV. just do TVs. <laughs> he does wonderful landscapes, mm -hmm. and there's some here in town in Whitefish. So, mm -hmm. you know, we we don't want to be defined by only one. I mean, we exactly. we artists like to have a broader mm -hmm. uh, scope. Uh, so. The, the silk painting definitely took off. I started, I think I sent some watercolors to the uh, C.M. Russell Museum early on and they were not juried in. And I was disappointed, but I kept trying. You know, you have to, you have to put in your time. You have to do the 10,000 hours or 20,000 hours. <laughs> say. Uh, put the miles in and eventually, but the silk painting took off rather well. And I think the first year I, I was juried into the Russell auction and into the art show there at the Heritage people really responded mm -hmm. to the silk painting, mm -hmm. especially women. Mm -hmm. Women who were on the board, women who helped with volunteer work with the ad club, they all flocked to it, they brought all their friends, mm -hmm. flocked to my room mm -hmm. and said, wow, because it wasn't all brown. Mm -hmm. It was vibrant and colorful and appealed to their mm -hmm. sense of color. And well, and very unusual, wasn't it, at that I mean, time? Absolutely, absolutely. I think I'm still the only silk painter in the Western art okay. world, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other people doing silk painting, I believe, mm -hmm. especially in California. Mm -hmm. But in this art market, the Wyoming, kind of the, the Buffalo Bill Museum, the C.M. Russell, 
uh, Jackson Hole Art Festival. I think I'm the only person painting on silk. And what's interesting, it's really, I mean, it's an ancient Chinese medium, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been doing it. I've seen 4,000 year old silk oh, paintings. But the Chinese painted on silk with, with, they would grind pigment and keep it fairly simple palette. Mm -hmm. Watercolorists paint with transparent, opaque and staining colors uh, that are made with all kinds of interesting ingredients like cobalts and mm -hmm. cadmiums and things. Uh, suspended in war gum and then oil painters use the same thing essentially except it's suspended in oil. Mm -hmm. Silk painting is the only 100% transparent medium oh, okay. as far as I know. You can paint watercolors with all transparent colors but they're not going to be punchy, they're mm -hmm. not going to be vibrant mm -hmm. because they're very transparent color. Whereas silk painting with the dyes is all transparent. I can put on 20 layers of transparent color one on top of another and still not make mud. Mm -hmm. This was a revelation to me. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and when I teach, I try to show people to get those dark values under the chin of a buffalo, mm -hmm. or, you know, that's an oil painting, so that doesn't count. But, you know, to get those dark colors under there, there are many, many, many layers of dye, one on top of the other. Uh -huh. Never black. I don't use black. Uh -huh. But a deep red, a deep orange, a deep green, one layer over another trying to get the value of the shadow area of that animal so but it's very forgiving mm -hmm. it's very it forgiving like i know i know i know and people are a little intimidated by it i teach once a year here in mid-june and people go it's the most user-friendly medium there is if you start simply and build on your experience with silk painting. So I, I try to start people with something fairly simple like a pear, some simple shape. Of course, you have people who come, I can't draw a pear. Okay, here's a pear. Put it down and draw a line, do a contour line around the pear, or use my drawing, put it under there, because I, I want you to learn about the transparency, sure. of the transparency of this wonderful medium. So, you know, I'm looking around. So that was a watercolor. You know, that's an oil, that was a silk painting. So varying, varying kinds of well, it's so yeah. interesting to hear about that technique because you sure, it, I mean, when you look at the silk paintings, you have no idea how that all no. comes together. No, and people come to the quick draws and they see, you know, it used to be for an hour, and then they extend it to an hour and a half, and thank goodness <laughs> now it's art in action, which we all, we artists uh, lobbied for because I said, you know, you guys could do better with your fundraising if you had a really nice painting at the end of this, mm -hmm. as opposed to something that <laughs> trying to do this slap together yeah. in an hour or an hour and a half, trying to visit with people. Sure. So uh -huh. the art in action is much more sober, <laughs> sober, uh, interactive, kind of wonderful thing. I'm so glad they're doing more of those. Jackson Hole and Cody, we still have to do the hour, <laughs> hour and a half. Oh my gosh. Okay, but people don't have the time to really see the process of it, whereas the art in action they do. I try mm -hmm. to leave enough. So that people can see, oh, here's one layer, and I'm going to put another one on it, put salt on it. Mm. They like to see that process mm -hmm. mm -hmm. in, in a period of a few hours. Yeah, so, yes. and it does, you have to, it's a patient process too. It's, you don't want to just squeeze out, you know, like with an acrylic, you better get that paint on there pretty fast because that plastic paint's going to dry. dry. Mm -hmm. But with, water, with, uh, with silk painting, I usually have two or three going at a time because you have to let that one dry mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then okay. go and do the drawing for this one next and mm -hmm. then get the gouda around it which saves the form 
and then go back to this one, do the next layer, and then come back here. And I, I have found that suits my working uh, rhythm rather okay. well. For one thing, you don't, you're not totally uh, intimidated by the fact, okay, I gotta do this painting and finish it and it's done. You can take your time with it and you're not, you haven't put all your eggs in one basket. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So you have this freedom. I feel like doing a sky, so I move over here. I think I'll do the sky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, I feel now it's late afternoon, make my cup of tea and work on the detail, the finishing part. So we artists, I think every artist you talk to probably has a rhythm mm -hmm. to their day and what what they feel like during a, a particular time of day and what first thing in the morning mm -hmm. is it my creative time and my I'm excited, I've had some ideas percolating and I start to mm -hmm. start paintings first mm -hmm. thing in the morning. I don't start paintings late in the afternoon. It sounds like you are allowing your pieces to sort of evolve as opposed to this is the beginning, this is the end, this is, you know, Absolutely. color by numbers and Absolutely. I'll be done with this. And what it made me think of when you were saying that is that our society today is so instant and the people, the generation beneath us just want everything done and finished and mm -hmm. um, this instant gratification. But it, it seems like, you know, it's so refreshing to hear you talk about your process and allowing the painting to be what it's going to be, but the whole journey of it and the whole process, not necessarily knowing what's at the end and just enjoying and the creation process. The creation I mean, process, yeah. yeah. And if nothing else, when people come and take my class, I, t I say that to them, I say, you know, some people take these classes so they can go home with two or three or four or five, six paintings <laughs> that they can give to all their relatives and say, look, mm -hmm. I'm excited. I said, fair enough. I can remember doing classes like that and paying the money to take the class and wanting to have something to show for it. Mm -hmm. But the process of it, the in part of painting, mm -hmm. is the wonderful, restorative, meditative part of why people like to make art or music or be a poet mm -hmm. or write. Mm -hmm. It's the in. And if, if you can find that in this world that's so moving fast, towards we know not what. Yes. Yeah. Maybe you don't know what is the end product. Mm -hmm. Maybe let go of that. People say, how do you know when you're finished? I said, I don't always know when I'm finished. <laughs> mm -hmm. Is there, maybe it's not finished. I've gone into people's houses and seen a painting of mine I did 20 years ago. And sometimes I've said, say, do I have that back? I think I could finish it more nicely oh, for you now. No, I don't generally. They say, oh no, we like it just like it is. Oh. Okay. Oh. Especially if it's a quick draw. Right. Oh yeah. And you're finished and you're yeah. trying to touch it. Off. Yeah. Touch it. Could I just have that back? No, you're not going to touch it. So. But mostly these days, I think I do know when it's time to stop. Mm -hmm. And and I say, you know, if you're not sure as a young, as an emerging artist or a person who's not sure about that, that the end process, just turn it, turn it face to wall, the wall for a while, mm -hmm. or hang it on the wall in your studio and come in every day and look at it and go. Hmm. One day you might walk in and say, okay, I know now what's, right. what's missing, and it might be the highlight on the nose of the bison. Mm -hmm. It might be, ah, now that finishes it. You know, or some striations on the on the horn of a, of a something of a bison. So, yeah. It's like your pictures are telling stories and it reminds me of uh, interviews we've done with writers and people that I've heard and they'll say, everyone wants to know what your book is about, you know? And, they, and I remember Pam Houston said, 
I don't know what it's about. I thought it was going to be about one thing, and it turned out to be another, and I'll let you know when I'm done. But everyone wants you to be at the finish line before you Big actually four. enjoyed the, the process. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I just read Deep Creek. Oh, I heard that, right? right? She's, yeah, I think what a, a wonderful one. writer. She's amazing. Uh, the, the, the line that just jumped out at me, especially doing this Glacier uh, Mammal series was, let's see, the wilderness is our best language. We have an obligation to speak it. Mm -hmm. oh, or something that's like, really it was very close beautiful. to that. I'm, I'm not remembering every single word, but wow, she writes beautifully mm -hmm. and as I've been doing these big mammals and learning about them doing my homework that's a fun part of all this mm -hmm. is doing the research I just finished the swift fox well I've never oh. seen a swift fox mm -hmm. they're the size of a cat oh really they used to live in Glacier Park they moved to the eastern prairies okay uh, they're trying to get them to come back mm -hmm. but I mean they're a small fast uh, carnivore uh -huh. mammal and Meriwether Lewis and all those guys documented seeing them and how mm -hmm. fast they could run. That They looked like a bird just skimming the earth because they were so fast. Mm -hmm. So that part is just wonderful for me. And walking out in those places, just fantastic. I mean, that's the wilderness is important to me. Uh, those places, parks are important to me. I think they're America's best idea. Mm -hmm. And if I can do anything to raise people's awareness, especially the younger generation, mm -hmm. yeah. Of conserving these wild places mm -hmm. where we can wander, yep. where your creativity can wander, mm -hmm. where you can think about nothing else except that little marmot mm -hmm. sitting on the rock watching you eat your sandwich. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, it's it's important, it's wonderful, it's important. It's mm -hmm. important for us as, as humans, I think, to have those mm -hmm. places. So, totally agree. Yeah. So, how did you land in Montana? Indeed. Well, so. Married a fellow from Seattle, Steve, who's very much involved in all of this, of course. And we lived in England for about six and a half years after we were married. Came back to Seattle, uh, worked for his dad a little bit. I worked in the warehouse organizing molly bolts and poly bolts and all these things. I had no idea what they, what are these for? What are these for? I don't get it, you know. So I would deliver stuff all over these building sites for just a half, about a half a year. I had always liked the name of Montana, that it made me feel expansive, even <laughs> as a kid. And I never lived here, neither of my parents, Iowa and Texas, they were from. So definitely Midwestern ethic, which is helpful because my dad taught me to finish things I started. Mm -hmm. That was important for me to learn. But Montana just, <sighs> I thought, wow, I'd like to go there and check it out. So when we started the school, we were looking at properties. My husband and I started a wilderness boarding school in 1978 uh, and we landed some of the property we had no money but this company called Pack River Lumber Company out of Sandpoint Idaho they used to run Schweitzer Basin and they mm -hmm. had properties they were very excited about us starting a wilderness boarding school they had I think five or six children Jesuit trained and they said why don't you pick out one of these properties one was in Montana outside of Thompson Falls and we started there built a garden uh, ran a school there for almost 22 years for wow. kids who were needed something. They needed the wilderness. Mm -hmm. They needed to get the heck out of Dodge, mm -hmm. Los Angeles, San Francisco, mm -hmm. and needed uh, the quiet yeah. and the, the wonderful healing power that walking in a forest can mm -hmm. bring to you. So we did that for a long time. And then 
we thought about after we, we uh, sold the school to some folks and I could not imagine leaving Montana. We looked at Port Townsend, we looked at some other places. I said, you know, I think Montana is my muse. Mm -hmm. I think I have to be here to paint. And we have no other retirement uh, program <laughs> in place. So you better keep me next to my muse, otherwise uh, otherwise we may not have much of a retirement. So we, st we stayed, came to the Flathead Valley, which is very rich in art and cultural things and music and all the above and good restaurants. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so we moved to Big Fork, which is a fun little artsy town. And the art thing has sort of moved north to Whitefish in some ways. Uh, I don't know if you had time to explore Big Fork, but mm -hmm. it's uh, it's not a town, so it's not incorporated. Uh, Whitefish has so many walking trails and, and nice uh, street lamps. And you know, it's, it's a wonderful walking place. It's a very easy place to live. So we moved up here two years ago and opened this space, which is way too big for an art gallery, but we found two other businesses that could pay into the lease. We didn't buy it, but we lease it, and uh, we'll see how we go. So this is sort of an art gallery with added food, mm -hmm. possible uh, event space and stuff. So it's mm -hmm. been a fun experiment. We'll yeah. see. We'll see how we go. But, but Montana, it's fun to be here. well, it's fun. Thank you. Thank you. We'll we'll see how we go. I, it's it's not a for everything. I told my husband and my son. I said I I thought we this was sort of a downsizing thing we were, we were doing and this feels kind of what just happened yeah what just happened and i'm not very involved in all of that uh the business side of of certainly not with the restaurant everything is but i know what i do best and i paint so that's what i do mm -hmm. and my studio's at home and i said we could do the interview here but this is a little more comfortable and, yeah fun to see the gallery yes yeah fun to see the gallery and we're representing emerging artists and that's that's great fun mm -hmm. uh, not not all emerging artists want feedback, but the ones who do, who are 20 or 23, or and they ask for it, I'm happy to share mm -hmm. my strength, hope, and experience with them. And maybe how how do you get your foot in the door? How do you go to Jackson Hole and get into that art market? Is Santa Fe a better fit? So I'm happy to share whatever I can with, with young or older artists who've decided, a lot of women, who their kids are grown mm -hmm. and through college and they're yeah, they're not so much having to having to help with all of that. So they're looking. There are a lot of older women who get into to art, and I actually didn't start making a living as a painter till I was fifty. So there's hope for. Her. I was just concerned. Yeah, that's very well, encouraging. Serious. Well, I always made I made art, but living in Thompson Falls, you know, mm -hmm. remote. We were on the edge of half a million acres of wilderness. Thompson Falls is a small logging town mm -hmm. with a railroad track right down the middle and it hasn't grown in fact it's probably shrunk since we lived there so I didn't get my art out there anywhere I, I sold a few because parents of some of our students would come and they'd mm -hmm. see mm -hmm. a few in the admin building but but yeah you have to get yourself out there but emerging what I was gonna say about emerging artists I encourage them to build a portfolio and put in the hours whether it's 10,000 and I read that book about the outliers, mm -hmm. you know, and putting it Malcolm, uh -huh. Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. I said, well, this makes a lot of sense. I started doing the math. Well, yeah, that is that is kind of how many hours I'd put in and that it took to get me to a, a place of professionalism mm -hmm. where I could actually go to Jackson Hole with a portfolio and make appointments and go pre present myself professionally as an artist. So, and the Russell Museum, I have to say, was 
was great in helping me do all that too and reaching a wider audience. Mm -hmm. I found museum shows are great mm -hmm. because you have a huge uh, group of people that start looking after you mm -hmm. in a lot of different ways. I mean, one person that I met at the Russell said, we need to get you into the uh, the Buffalo Bill Museum down in Cody, it's a great show. Or we need to help you get into the uh, Jackson Hole Wildlife uh, Art Show. So those, those connections and that interconnectedness that can exist with people who say, well, I don't, I don't, I like art, but I don't make it, but let me help you. Mm -hmm. Great. Mm -hmm. Whatever help you can give me, I would love it. What a yeah. network. What a, it is. That's it's an important, important network mm -hmm. to, to find. So. Mm -hmm. so how does living near Glacier Park inspire your work? Yeah, you know, I've been so busy since we moved up to Whitefish <laughs> that uh, we used to go a lot more often when we took groups of kids in there mm -hmm. camping and so forth. But we do get up there. We we hike there. Uh, I see critters. Not all. Not all. I've never seen a wolverine, and I've never seen a, seen a swift fox. And I had to paint both of them based on what I could find on the internet with video cams and nocturne video cams and so forth and so on. It was hard. The wolverine was particularly tough to do the, the homework on. But just knowing it's there, mm -hmm. and when guests come, we, okay, I guess I need to go up there and we'll show you. So that's, it's important, mm -hmm. it's important to me, yeah, to have it close by, uh, even closer than we were in Big Fork. But it's always, even in Thompson Falls, we would make the drive. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'd bring groups of kids up there because we knew that was, they needed that experience too, mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's a real treasure. It's a treasure, and so is Yellowstone, mm -hmm. uh, which might blow up one day. But you know, <laughs> all you talk to the geologists down there, mm -hmm. it's just not when. It's yeah, no, it's not. It's not if. It's when. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you go, oh, and that's reassuring. <laughs> As you walk by all those bubbling, right? Those bubbling hot, hot, hot spots. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I had a question about your subject matter, and mm -hmm. you've already sort of referred to it. Um, but for our listeners that might not have seen your work up close and personal, um, your subjects include animals wildlife and very vivid landscapes and that sort of thing and I've always thought that your paintings are really alive to me and maybe it's the color or um, it seems like you don't just see a picture you know see something and paint a picture about it but that you paint with such emotion and I was wondering how you sort of channel your feelings in onto the silk or onto the canvas that's a great question um, Yes, I think I think every painting is kind of, that a paint that an artist makes is sort of a self-portrait. Mm -hmm. It may not be my head and my face, but it's who I am at that moment. At, at that, that moment, at that time, mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean we're not multifaceted uh, people. Uh, but and I think it, it tells it's you paint that and it. And, it, and w whether it's color, and I, I am very enamored of color, especially in the middle of winter in Montana. <laughs> uh, you sort of, you know, you see the ochre grasses, they're very beautiful mm -hmm. in that snow, but long about February, early March, you're kind of going, okay, where, where, yeah, I know you all in Great Falls had no autumn, right? Mm -hmm. You had the snow, and, and everybody from Great Falls I came over right after that said, we had no autumn, we had no, the leaves were there and then they were gone. Mm -hmm. They never turned those beautiful mm -hmm. colors. And I, you know, color is important to me. Mm -hmm. Color is important to me. Interestingly, I'm kind of, for this last couple of years, I've sort of gone back to 
the fact the piece I just finished for the Russell uh, Museum is essentially black and white. Mm -hmm. And I did that a couple years ago. I said, you know, that early training of that Payne's yeah. grave for a year, mm -hmm. I just feel like just doing the form with as many different values as I can with one color, mm -hmm. which was Payne's gray, which can go from palest to pale to black. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did one of a Chief Plenty coup, and I really like the way it turned out. Uh, we just, it's in my studio now. It's been photographed and we think we sent it. There's a time, there's not a timeline for skull artists. I guess we, Skull Society artists have a little more time. Oh, okay. I think it's early December we have to have it in, but. but yeah, I can't yeah. wait to see that. Yeah, well, and, and maybe it's a more meditative mm -hmm. time of my life. Mm -hmm. get, getting back to the simplify, 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 like, well, like going through your sock drawer. Mm -hmm. I don't wear those socks, mm -hmm. you know, give them away. I'm not very good at the clothes thing yet. <laughs> I have sentimental attachments mm -hmm. to things like, why am I hanging on to that sweater? Well, I wore it to my first opening. It's right, exactly. something crazy. I just need to let go of that mm -hmm. stuff. But the, but the color, I, I keep coming back to it. Um, because color for me is emotion. Mm -hmm. um, red, I mean reds and deep rich greens and a little bit of blue here and there too. I like to put a little like of the blue around that bison mm -hmm. where the light's hitting him. Mm -hmm. You know, painting a magpie, even though it's a black and white bird, boy the sheen of of light hitting that shiny bird with greens and crimson and reds. Pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. So even if it's black and white I tend to I go I, I kinda wanna go one step further mm -hmm. and and squint down and really see what else is there. Like Monet's paintings yeah. of snow, they're not white snow. Mm -hmm. There's rich, thick paint strokes of pale rendition. I mean, he mixed a lot of color with white to give that feeling of, of uh, the richness and the emotion of, of that. Uh, yeah. Local color, whether it's under a tree that's just, that's got lots of turning leaves and maybe they haven't fallen off yet or maybe they have. And, the pollen, you know, the, the little catkins and things mm -hmm. lend, lend themselves. I love finding things like that out in the snow and like, yay! I get excited when there's a little bit of color for me working, uh, even in a black and white thing. Mm -hmm. So well, I think you'll see that in the piece I submitted to the, the Russell. You'll get to see it next March, I suppose, or no, whenever they, January, they start displaying them. Maybe that's why they feel so alive to me, because it's nature and it's the world and just trying to even represent that right. on any kind mm -hmm. of <clears throat> surface is just, and that's why it's so important to be out, you know, in nature. And it seems like your whole life has just been that, that path, mm -hmm. going out, exploring and teaching, you know, showing it to other people what you like about being in nature and the stillness and everything. Yes. Do you have, you said that you don't like your the early time of the day is not your most creative. It, it is, it, it is. Oh, I'm a morning person. You're a morning person. You paint in your studio. I do. And, and you I take paint there all day. photographs of your subjects and then bring them back and paint from that as a You can do. Sometimes I'll do sketches out on location oh, with okay. oil or watercolor. Oil is kind of the easiest thing to, for me to do outside on location uh -huh. because even if it pours down rain, it's not going to disappear. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> but drawing too and sometimes watercolor if the weather's okay. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, and as you as you can see, I have a photograph perhaps, but but then you insert yourself right into the subject matter. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think about the self-portrait. There's a lady here in town uh, who does wonderful work and I wrote her and I said, you know your work it's very quiet and serene and reflections. I said, 
that is who you are. Mm -hmm. That is who you are. See, I, that's why I like your work uh, because you you're painting who you are mm -hmm. in every, and they're all landscapes. Mm -hmm. She does mostly landscapes. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and that is who I am. That doesn't mean I can't be the black and white uh, thing occasionally too. But as you'll see in the one I did for the Russell, I mean there is some warmth here and there on the white horse in the background slightly. I, I just the very faintest wash of color mm -hmm. uh, mixed with so much water that it's really not a color. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of a glazing. Mm -hmm. oh, I can't it's really a glazing it. sort of thing. <laughs> and I stopped and that people asked me, okay, when do, you, when do you know to stop? Well, I stopped early on in that one. Mm -hmm. I said, I think this is done. I could mess with this thing for weeks and weeks and weeks. I, I need to get the heck out of it. Mm -hmm. I need to let it be. Uh, people used to ask me, how long does it take you to paint that watercolor? And I used to tell them how old I was. <laughs> it took me that long to, to paint, get there, to, to get there, the to learn how to do that it. sky, and get the heck out of it. I know the restraint that it yes. takes to step away. Yes, step, step away. away. <laughs> it probably takes one minute to do a watercolor sky. I don't care what size. You're wetting the paper now, and you have to wait a little bit, and then you get the color on there, and you get the heck out of it. Mm -hmm. You cannot be that's mm -hmm. paint, paint, brush, brush, brush. No, you can do that with oil, maybe. Although the oils I like are much more gestural mm -hmm. and immediacy. There's an immediacy to it. If a painting is overworked, I don't see the artist in it. Mm -hmm. I see good draftsmanship. Right. I see fine finishing. But where's the artist? Where's the mm -hmm. spirit of this person who mm -hmm. painted this painting? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? The, the toil. Do you see if they're, they're, they're toiling over it? Perhaps. <laughs> those, too much. those gutsy brush strokes. Uh -huh. That was, you know, I like seeing the gutsy brush strokes. Mm -hmm. It's so exciting for me. That's why I like plein air painting. I like, yeah. mm -hmm. I like to do it myself and I like to see other people's work. Mm -hmm. It hasn't done well in the Western art world and hmm. it's a darn shame because it's wonderful. It's mostly on the California mm -hmm. coast and on the East Coast along the water. Mm -hmm. uh, California has a tradition of that. Galleries don't like to touch plein air painting. Hmm. It's it's uh, there's an immediacy about it that's very exciting, mostly for other artists mm -hmm. and a few select collectors. Mm -hmm. But it's a hard sell. Is that interesting? Yeah. Mm -hmm. People silly. tend to like. So did you spend three weeks painting on that painting, or how much time factory time did you put into that painting mm -hmm. that makes it worth more? They try mm -hmm. to qualify something that's an emotion and an experience as opposed to, you know, they can't put a price tag. I don't know how you would even begin to People price. want to know how many hours you worked on mm -hmm. the painting. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, we have tried to educate them, the artists. You know, I've worked a long time so I could do that with mm -hmm. this guy. Mm -hmm. And and it helps them. I remember one, one, one collector, he had, wasn't a collector when he first came into my room in Great Falls. Angus Rancher. Angus mm -hmm. owned a big Angus Ranch. I'm mm -hmm. sure you know who this guy is. Um, and he's no longer with us. But he came in and he said, why the hell you put that lime green on the butt of that horse? <laughs> I it. His wife, of course, came in and bought it immediately. Oh. And she bought a couple others for her children. The next year he came in and he just came in and studied. You know, Kept looking and asked me another very funny question, nose to nose. So, and I tried to share with him, and I used to say to him, I said, I don't know. <laughs> I love saying that to him because I just wanted to, he was so in my face in a good way. It wasn't, it wasn't so confrontational. Funny. It was a wonderful, <laughs> he just didn't get it because he wanted the carefully rendered, beautifully done, finished painting. 
he thought was worthy of hanging on this wall. His wife got it immediately. She was from the East Coast, actually. And the next year he came in and he kind of looked around. Next year he came in, he said, you know, Nancy, he said, I think I'm starting to get it. <laughs> and I love it. I love That's it because you I said, okay, if you're ready to hear why the lime green, I can talk to you about value, mm -hmm. color, temperature. I mean, there's a lot of things why we artists put particular colors where we put them. Uh, it's not really a science to it, but it sort of helps to know color wheels and mm -hmm. complementary colors mm -hmm. and warm, uh, color temperature. Is it a cool yellow? Is it a warm blue? Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of interesting to think about those things and take that into the field when you're doing your sketching. And that's what plein air painting, you, a lot of people uh, so do these little plein air pieces and then bring them back and those are their notes right. for the bigger studio mm -hmm. painting, the important painting. Mm -hmm. I tend to like the little studies mm -hmm. of other artists because they're so interact. I mean, you can see the thinking yeah. process they put they put into them. Mm -hmm. but, um, but mm -hmm. those experiences and great thoughts just crack me up because these guys, you know, and uh, it's okay that not everybody's going to like everything you do. That's fine with me. Yeah. You know. Hmm. Well, at the Russell Museum, we're really excited for your Forever Glacier show to come this summer. Tell us a little bit about how you came up with that idea and what your goals are and give us a little preview of what we're going to see. Sure. Well, you know, when you get to be my age, you start thinking about your legacy. I go, what am I going to leave behind here? Um, and because of the way I feel about the parks, Glacier Park in particular, my husband and I started chatting about this. He comes at this also having loved the parks and taking lots of teenagers into the park from all over the country. But we started talking about, let's, how about I paint, start painting some of the big animals, the big mammals of Glacier Park. I really had no intention of ever painting the little pika <laughs> or or the wolverine or you know some of the smaller critters that nurse their young but so i started with the big you know the bison and the, the bison is actually a historical animal of glacier park i've done a few of those they used to be in the park mm -hmm. but because glacier had given me so much over the years of living in montana i thought well maybe we could do this maybe we should talk to the glacier conservancy mm -hmm. maybe they could help us uh, fund it. I know we have a mortgage just like everybody else. We had a son to put through college. Uh, so, but, but our son was through college by then, so that's good. But I think we were still paying it off. He went, he went back east. Anyway, long story short, so I started, we talked to the Conservancy. They're very, they were very interested. Unfortunately, timing-wise, it's about the time Sperry Chalet uh, burned down mm -hmm. when we really got more and more engaged with them. We would like the whole uh, traveling exhibit to eventually be housed by the Conservancy in a guest uh, visitor center that they are planning on building okay. uh, out just outside the park. Um, and then they could do products, they could keep, it's mm -hmm. the gift that might keep on giving with scarves, with mugs, mm -hmm. with puzzles, whatever, coloring books. Right. Uh, so we chatted with them and it became very apparent very soon that they could help us not one iota financially. So I had to keep having a career and, and, and sending word in, uh, work into museums and galleries and so forth and keep the mortgage payments coming, but also start on this slowly. So three years ago, I think I did the first mammal. And it was, which one was it? I believe it was the mountain 
go because I said that's so iconic Glacier right. Park mm. <clears throat> and actually the first one I did was sold at the fundraiser and it went very well and we it was a hundred percent donation I said okay Steve the next one I do <laughs> we probably need to keep keep the painting if we're gonna build a museum mm -hmm. show so and I'm always happy to, to share to share my resources with museums and with nonprofits, but and you still have to make a living and you, mm -hmm. so I wanted to build this museum show and, and my husband had some great ideas and we kind of clap put our heads together and I said well maybe if I could if I could do all the large mammals and some of the small ones composite ones of the small mm -hmm. ones I'm not painting a 30 by 40 of a pike <laughs> I'm drawing the line there no no you know but I could put them all in like by ecosystems mm -hmm. by, by uh, terrain what to, these guys live up in the high alpine these guys live down in mm -hmm. the river bottom so I started thinking about that but I definitely it's much easier for me to do a big mm -hmm. animal uh, and try to be more expressive as an artist than to do 20 rodent-sized creatures mm -hmm. with shiny noses and whiskers and beady little eyes <laughs> which I've done a couple it's like I get to that last little baby weasel and I'm like, oh my gosh so I have to take a break from those uh -huh. from those composite ones of all these critters uh, but I think I'm on number 20 wow. of 22 oh so I'd like to be finished by January so we have time to do a few coloring books or products and so forth and one by one I do the homework. Mm -hmm. I thought you put this on. Wait till it stops ringing. Oh. I thought you put it on mute. You know it might go off mute. It's all good. One one by one. I I like kind of uh, getting into the animal, doing some homework, reading about it. Uh, interestingly, some of these have, for instance, I was working on a coyote, which is one of the mammals of Glacier Park. One of they consider large mammal. Not as large as the moose, but big enough in its own. And the day I finished this coyote, and I was thinking about John Nieto and his colorful, you would know his work. Okay. It's in, you would know his work. He, most prominent in Santa Fe, but almost Warhol-ish color, mm -hmm. big slashes of, and he's famous mostly for his coyotes casting shadows. Mm -hmm. So most well-known in Santa Fe, but Gosh, where did we see his work? Was it Chicago or Denver? The whole airport had a bunch of his work in there. And people collect his work. And people who've collected his work also collect mine because they like color. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about John Nieto. And I finished this coyote. And that very day, I, I read that he had passed away. Oh. And I had met the man in Jackson Hole. And he told me how much. I think this piece was in a gallery there. And he came in and he said, so. You the one that did that bison? Yeah. I like it. <laughs> you know, he was very monoslavic. I think he'd had some heart issues and his wife was very protective because he was not 100% back. But mm -hmm. uh, this has been a few years ago. And I was so touched by, by him saying that. I was very honored that he liked my work because I had seen his work for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And the more colorful I became. But that was the coyote, when you see the whole exhibit, Look at that coyote, and in the meantime, look at John Nieto. I think you would recognize his work. Mm -hmm. um, a piece that wasn't in the, is not part of the Glacier series, though, was uh, Ivan Doig is the Montana writer. Mm -hmm. um, and This House of Sky, I mean, I read all those books. Some, some were Dancing at the Rascal Fair. I think some I preferred to others. But the day, I finished up painting the day he died, 
which was called this house of sky oh, you know we're allowed to use those mm -hmm. as on a painting i don't know if you knew I that know i did a painting called a river runs through it after seeing that movie mm -hmm. i said wow and i did a river piece and i found out from my uncle who was a writer in los angeles yeah you can use book titles really okay great because i love the river runs through mm -hmm. i loved this house of sky because that's the way i feel about montana mm -hmm. anyway gradually one by one i did these mammals I worked at it, but I had to fit in all the other things also. So I gave myself plenty of time. We had to find private sponsors, with people who'd either collected my work or had a major love of Glacier Park, uh, who hadn't collected my work, but they thought, what a great idea for these all to hang with a plaque, with a quote from me or my family foundation about how I feel about Glacier Park. Mm -hmm. So we have found private sponsors for all these pieces. Uh, it took a while to do that, one by one, phone call by phone call. Not everybody wants to do that, but some people have done it in memory of their parents who passed on, who loved Glacier Park. Maybe they were from Great Falls, but they had a cabin up the Swan for many, many years, and they came over here and they came to Glacier Park, and that was part of their whole experience here, their childhood. Mm -hmm. So it's been a wonderful kind of building a family of people who sponsored these things. I think we still have two left to sponsor. Interestingly, they're both the small critters. <laughs> One is the river bottom. So the, you know, the, 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 let's see, we've got the otter, which is a very popular animal, but the, so he'll be in the water. Or visualize what it's going to look like. Uh -huh. It's going to be in the water. So some of them will be kind of up on a rock overlooking, but those critters and the other one is the prairie. All the critters that live out on the prairie, mm -hmm. all the little mammals, because there's lots of them. Because all those eagles and things eat them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's their that's their ecosystem mm -hmm. too. So, those are the two we don't have sponsors for yet. But I think we'll probably find find them. That is a great legacy for you. It's too. a great legacy. I've got to, I've got to finish it up now. And quite frankly, it hopefully will help the retirement thing too mm -hmm. for the next 20 years or so. I'm not going to retire. Painters don't stop painting. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to be not quite so busy with with things yeah different timelines I don't call them deadlines I don't write but the timelines if you're with museum shows you do have lots of timelines and you have to try to hit those hit those in a good way so that those people can do what they need to do on their end so, mm -hmm. is that enough about the glacier project <laughs> one by one there's some different stylistically there they change in style somewhat Maybe as my evolution as an artist, but maybe more so in my mood and my research. And you know, I feel yeah. the last, the one I'm working on right now is the Canadian Lynx. And it's totally very not colorful. Mm -hmm. It's it's a much quieter kind of uh, painting. It's in the snow, because that's how I think of them. Classic. I've seen a lynx, but way down, you know, I said, is that a bobcat? Is that a lynx way down a when I was hiking sometime in Glacier Park. Um, the fellow who, who sponsored this one is a Minnesotan who's married to a Canadian lady. And I said, is that why you sponsor the Canadian lady? <laughs> he said, maybe a little bit. <laughs> yeah, his, his, uh, his wife died and, and her husband died and they found each other on the internet. And they're a wonderful couple. Mm -hmm. And he said, maybe, maybe a little bit. And we've known them just the last, uh, actually I met him at the Russell show mm -hmm. long ago. And he has some of my work and so he was, you know, we can ask. It's always okay to ask. Right. People can say no. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. I'm fine. I don't need to to dance around the, you know, 
just ask. Mm -hmm. If people say, no, we're not in a position to do that, that's fine. But at least you asked. Because mm -hmm. yeah. we needed help to bring this to fruition, and we have had some very wonderful help mm -hmm. in doing so. Well, it was fun for us to meet Morgan when we came in. He's also an artist, and we're all parents here and know that it must be a lot of fun for you to be in business with him. How did you raise a child to become an artist? Indeed, you know, um, when, when he was very young, I made, I put a little table on a chair and got some good watercolors, not the most expensive, <laughs> Windsor Newton, which are very expensive, but I got some reasonable ones and cotton paper, and I showed him some things, and he started entering the duck stamp contest in Montana, and he won some awards. It's always kind of nice when kids win awards, because then they go, oh, I'm pretty good at this, you know, and that kind of helps build encouragement. their encouragement and he gets all those blue ribbons and Morgan's always had a, I would teach drawing at our boarding school and we'd have life, uh, we'd have models and he would draw from life. I love the drawing of young children. Mm -hmm. It is so wonderful. Uh, Morgan could always make wonderful, he, he probably drew better than I did at, at the age when I was quite young. I think I liked color so much that that's what I was doing. He liked the line. He liked the line. So that was so I kept encouraging uh, that part, but also teaching him how to mix watercolor and not putting too many colors in that mixture because you can make that mouse that mouse color and make it mud. We all anybody who's ever tried watercolor has made a lot of mud. And when they ask me at the high school here to, to come in, I take them some mud paintings. I want to show you my learning process here. And it's easy to make mud with that one extra. You've got three colors, you add the fourth, you just lost it. You've made mud. Uh, by the way, uh, silk painting is much more forgiving that way. You, it's almost impossible to make mud. And that's why I say it's more user-friendly. Because the first time you do it, you're probably going to get something you like. Not so with watercolor. Not so with oil. Uh, not so with oil. But he, so from the time he was probably three, and my granddaughter's now two, I've got the table. I've got the watercolors, I got her old chair. I'm not ready to take her down quite yet at yeah. two. But maybe at three, three and a half, four, we'll see what her maturity level is, is get her started. Uh, he always kind of liked doing it. He's a little bit of an introvert, like me. You may not see that. But most artists are, are a bit introverted, and you have to learn to sort of be more extroverted if you want to show up at museum shows or gallery openings. I like people, but I kind of like this size group as opposed mm -hmm. to a room full of people. Mm -hmm. But he he uh, he would draw, he would paint for, you know, my mom would, used to say with all of us, she said you were the most self-directed mm -hmm. of all the five of you because you would just sit down and you'd make pictures. And I, said, oh. and I didn't know that about myself. I, I knew I liked doing that, but I also remember hanging from trees and riding my bike. Mm -hmm. And she said, but you would sit down and you would, and Morgan was very much like that. So he's like that with me. I think if you had a kid who was just super extrovert and couldn't sit still for very long, that might be a bit of a struggle with a young person harder. Yeah, and I I loved being active too, but I also would do the other. But he, he learned, he, he did watercolor with those duck stamp things and, and he would do them in between. He started selling some work pretty young young age. His background in watercolor helped him transition into silk painting. And then when we moved up here, well before that, 
uh, we went to Italy for a year and I did, I think, 120 plein air oil paintings oh, nice. when we closed our school in Thompson Falls. Mm -hmm. What a wonderful gift that was to myself mm -hmm. and to him. My husband did some writing. Morgan and I would go out and paint mm -hmm. uh, in oil uh, on location. And we still, I think Morgan is probably an oil painter. He may not be a water media person. I love doing oil as well, but just based on what we've sold of his here in the gallery, his oils sell pretty quickly. He just has a, he draws well, and but he also loves going out in the glacier park and setting up and just getting the feel of a place and putting the, his marks down on that canvas. Mm -hmm. uh, and this last summer we didn't get out at all because of these two little peanuts yes. that uh, yeah, <laughs> very busy summer and he's trying to run this event center thing but I said Morgan next year next summer next fall we just have to set aside some days mm -hmm. let's look at your schedule and what you book and we just need to go do it because it's important for you to feed that part of yourself mm -hmm. he works a lot and he's at home a lot he's a very good dad mm -hmm. he cooks he's the main cook mm -hmm. at home as well so. busy guy busy guy <laughs> yeah busy guy well, we wanted our listeners to know more about what you have going on here at the gallery too in this event space so tell us a little bit about that and what you've got going here yeah um back to, can i go back to glacier park Ooh, yes, for a second? the opening will be at the cm russell museum next june right we have to have it over there i think by may something for them to hang it and steve is my husband steve is now booking other museums great uh, we approached the national museum of wildlife art uh, they're considering it and you know it's, it's a process for them to to go through uh, the Buffalo Bill Center of the West down in Cody Wyoming the Booth Museum has booked it and they're in Cartersville Georgia That's it's, fantastic. The, it's the largest Western art exhibit space uh, in the country I think I think you're right mm -hmm. uh, they, they are very proud of that it's an amazing museum it's just one family that founded it so we're excited about starting to book those things that's fantastic yeah so so back to this space so yes so this is so morgan and avis went avis is, is morgan's wife they went to a wedding in boulder colorado and it was in an art gallery i think art galleries are needing to rethink that expensive retail space that they rent uh expensive vertical space does that make sense mm -hmm. yeah. so you've got vertical that's that's where your that's where your product is. Uh, what are you doing with the rest of the space, the footprint of the gallery? Uh, and we've noticed over the last few years, galleries are struggling, and some of them have to close because they just can't afford um, the rent, the lease. Uh, it's just happened actually in Jackson Hole with with uh, Legacy Gallery. Mm -hmm. They uh, the rent was kicked so far up that Brad Richardson said no. Not going to do it, so they're moving out of Jackson Hole, mm -hmm. um, and that's that. They've been there a long time. Mm -hmm. So, we this is four thousand square feet without all the outside the patio and so forth. We thought, okay, if we're going to lease this space, and Whitefish is not inexpensive to lease space, uh, and that's happening more and more all the time. Uh, we need to think, be creative in what could be, how this space could be utilized. Who else could pay into this lease? Um, and my my son said, you know, this is, this might be a great event space, and or and so they've they've started that 
gosh, two years ago, started renting it out as an event space, and we've had showers and weddings and smaller weddings, 200 usually, uh, rehearsal dinners. Very, that's probably been the biggest uh, booking because we have a wonderful caterer in here who moved over from Big Sky, Montana, from Wisconsin. I mean, he was originally from Wisconsin. Wonderful chef. He's done a lot of paired, paired wine dinners here. And um, so he subleases the commercial kitchen and makes amazing food and has trained a, a younger guy uh, to come in and help do a lot of that so he doesn't have to be here all the time. And so we have these three businesses paying into a lease that, uh, yeah, a 4,000 square foot place. And they're very inter-supportive. So if, if Morgan books a wedding, he recommends this mm -hmm. caterer. They can get any caterer they want, mm -hmm. but we recommend this one because he's amazing. Mm -hmm. And it depends on their price point. Is it 30 bucks a person or is it $85 a person? Mm -hmm. And Michael Cartwright can do, you know, just about anything in that, in that range. Uh, and some people will, you know, go for a less expensive option, and that's fine. But gosh, it's been fun to see. There's been political uh, rallies here, uh, and I'm happy to rent it to both Democrats or Republicans. <laughs> Hands across the aisle, right? It's fine with me. Uh, this is not a political space, but it's a space where people can gather and exchange ideas and hopefully listen to each other about what each other has to say. We can learn a lot if we listen. It's a fantastic model. It's, it's kind of an interesting model. Uh, I have to say the gallery uh, has been the one paying most into the space. And because we're slightly out of town, we're not in the mainstream of Whitefish where you park your car and you go to all the galleries and you eat at one of the restaurants. Mm -hmm. So people, but people are finding out about us. They're doing more social media. They're going on, you know, Yelp or whatever they do. <laughs> Uh, young people in Morgan scheduling music and karaoke and trivia nights and cribbage nights and different things to try to bring book clubs. Mm -hmm. I'm in a couple book clubs and we meet right here and it's kind of fun. You go get a, a bowl of soup and a glass of wine and we meet back here and talk about some wonderful book we've all read. So mm -hmm. it is, it is. It's a shared space uh, that hopefully can can be interdependent on each other for success. Mm -hmm. And we noticed. After we did this, there's a Sunti gallery here, a Thai man who does amazing, uh, just so realistic his sculptures. Uh, he's over here, right as you come into Whitefish on the main drag, which is what 93, 93, I think. Um, he had he's opened a coffee shop with pastries and in in their basement. So I think galleries are probably rethinking. Okay, what can we do to bring to bring more people into it. The, the fellow who does all my framing, they do poetry readings, they do, I don't think they've had a wedding in there. But the, with caterers, there are lots of mobile caterer folk, and Cartwright does that too. You can bring the food wherever you go. They do have a beer and wine license here, which which we bought. That's not cheap to do. It's kind of expensive, not a full liquor license, that was more than me, but just the beer and wine. But that's important if you're having events and things to have that available for folks. And that might kind of sometimes what pays for the bottom line, you know, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the $7 glass of wine or whatever it is. Cover your overhead. Cover a little bit of overhead and the heat and the light. And the, yeah. So it's a, it's a different model. I don't know that there's probably, well, obviously the one in, in Boulder, Colorado where they went to the wedding. But I think, I think all, all 
retail space like this needs to think about that. Uh, yeah, how to utilize the space in a way to get folks in and get people in. I just took four of my women friends into the gallery in town here that does all my framing. I wanted to show them a couple things, and one lady bought a painting on her way out. I love it. I love it. She didn't take it with her. She just said, say that one to me, you know. So if I could help with that and take people around, and yeah, I mean, I we're doing an art fest here. I was just going to ask you about that. I, yeah. Um, read about that that you and your husband Steve started that yeah Steve was Steve's brainchild I I tend to just stay focused on okay what do I got to do next you know what's my next timeline Steve is more the big picture thing he's the eagle kind of flying over looking for you know uh, and he wanted to do this thing and we talked to a few galleries here in town and said let's bring let's make whitefish even more of an art destination like Great Falls is in March let's do something here in the summer, uh, in conjunction with some classes, maybe I could teach a class. We have two or three other artists that we represent who are coming to teach a class. Michael Unti from Denver, uh, John Reinhold from Coeur d'Alene to come and teach a class and kind of dovetail into the art fest where we'd like to get young kids, maybe have a couple of afternoons with high school arts students working with them with maybe cattle markers, very Montana. I love cattle markers, those oil-based mm -hmm. things that kids mm -hmm. can do fun stuff with. That maybe we established artists can work with high school kids on another afternoon or two and sh share with them some of our strength open experience, if I can use that term again. So keep it, you know, and then have these fun uh, quick finishes, quick finishes, not quick draws. <laughs> No guns going off, no time frame. Uh, serve hors d'oeuvres and wine, and people watch the process of people making their art. People really love to watch the process of people making their art. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any other art form. You can't really watch people write or, or do music. Uh, you can listen to some music, but to watch people actually putting something together on, on a flat surface or a skull or a three-dimensional thing is pretty exciting. Pretty exciting stuff. So it went very well this last summer. We we took 10% of all the proceeds and put them into a scholarship fund, which we earmarked art students, serious art students only. Because there's lots of scholarships for other things. Right. We And we thought, I said, you know, if it's a 20-year-old who's in Bozeman, or well, we wanted to have, yeah, who's from the Flathead, and this is their focus. They really want to study art and making art. Let's 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 earmark this for them. We put it with the Whitefish Community Foundation, which is a wonderful 501c3. Good. So they're going to help manage it for a small percentage. We'll be on a, a jury and and listen to folks. In fact, I'm just writing an article to invite Flathead students of all, whether they're off to school. I mean, they could be they could be in school back east. They could be in New York City doing a Russian atelier drawing club, drawing school kind of thing. We've had. Montana artists go that way and apply for some scholarship money to help them do that. I can't imagine what it costs to stay in New York City to do art. <laughs> you all know that. Yes, we have a daughter going to school. You do. Okay. Okay. But that's a wonderful, you know, well, way to give back. Absolutely. Keep it local. Keep and it be local. Flexible right. And we invited other galleries. Said, please send some of your artists. People like this space, especially outdoor. Mm -hmm. We oh, rented yeah. a big tent. We thought about doing it on the Village Green up here. Uh, but then you have to have porta potties and mm -hmm. 
everybody who came to this art fest and we had a lot of folks come keep it here keep it keep it out here you have nice bathrooms you have a bar in case people want to have something other than what you're serving out here uh, we had a couple of food trucks we had an ice cream the sweet peaks you have to have one yes. of those before you leave whitefish um yeah uh we had some other things going on too but we have lots of fun things but we'll keep it here probably and hopefully it'll grow and the galleries send some of their artists to do the quick finish we have a miniature show so small pieces affordable for those folks who say mm -hmm. my walls are covered ah yes but, but look at the size of this for that skinny little place you have between two doors <laughs> young people or young people just okay very important very important uh comment because young people have not really bought in to collecting art what we've been told by our son and others is they want to buy experiences mm -hmm. and nice toys, uh, whether it's giant flat screens or motorcycles or those kinds of things. How do we get, how does every museum that's struggling with the same thing mm -hmm. get those young millennial folk starting to look at contemporary art and buying their first piece of original art? and hanging it on their wall because it speaks to them for some reason. Mm -hmm. I remember my first piece of art. Uh, it was in England and I bought a watercolor up in uh, Yorkshire. It's built like that, you know. <laughs> and it, and it, it was just, just, it reminded me of this wonderful little village. It was a very, very British looking watercolor. And by that I meant, I mean, it was very nicely done, but nothing too exciting or gestural, but beautifully done with transparent watercolor. And I think it was a hundred bucks, and at the time that was a lot of money for me at 21, 22 years old. But I loved having a piece of original art. Uh, so yes, those miniature shows are so important. Keep things affordable, um, and so people can get their foot in the door and say, "Okay, uh, I've tried that at the Russell. I've tried to have small, unframed watercolors there, so people can can come in and buy something for a hundred bucks." You know. You know, art is the only painting. Art is the only thing. I thought about this this morning. I make marks on a paper, or you do, or whatever. It's and three hundred years from now, it's still my marks on that piece of paper mm -hmm. hanging there. Music, deceased musicians. You can play their music, and maybe you can go to a museum and see the original transcripts. Which, I guess, for a musician, they're kind of interesting. But but art is the only thing that you can be right nose to nose with Monet's brushstrokes. Mm -hmm. He did that. Just he, when he did it. When he did it. Mm -hmm. He did it 70 years ago maybe. But he did it. He made those marks. And you're, you can't get too close because the museum oh, alarms go off because I've had that happen. <laughs> my, my nose broke the plane where those lights are, you know, and the whole alarm system goes, sorry, sorry, I just wanted to see how he did his brushstrokes. That's what I was looking for. Uh, but, you know, it's important to, and people, young people just haven't chosen to go that route yet. I have to say a lot of young people like my art and they tell their parents to put their name, to tell them to buy it, mm -hmm. or they tell their parents as they're getting older to put their name on the back of that mm -hmm. painting. Right. Because they like the contemporary colorful stuff. They also like the black and white pieces. So, but they're not, maybe they're not yet in the position and I know what that feels like coming mm -hmm. from, you know, we all were there in our 20s not buying much of anything mm -hmm. just trying to pay the rent and find the right work find your job and get settled and start saving and 
-hmm. Then your kids come. And then <laughs> so that's nice. Well, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. We have thoroughly enjoyed visiting with you about your art. And we appreciate the time you have taken with us today. Thanks for being on our podcast. Oh, happy to do it. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you, too. <laughs> though because so these folks who came it was their only western show they'd ever come to they were from pacific palisades mm -hmm. they were art collectors i didn't know that at the time but i did a quick draw and it was a quick draw it was blank canvas i did a big old mustang running full tilt out out at at the audience so, mm -hmm. so to speak and people they watched me the entire time do this piece in fact, there was a stage behind, and they got up and watched me from above, so they really could see. And they bought it, and it went for $17,000. Oh, Crazy. So I went and sat with them afterwards, took off my apron, gave them a book. <laughs> I said, you can't have my firstborn son, but thank you very much. And I said, tell me a little bit about where this painting's going and who you folks are. I'd like to know. And they said, well, we've never bought a piece of contemporary Western art. We so enjoyed watching the process yes. of it. I said, well, who, so <laughs> who else, what other artists have you collected? They had a Matisse, uh -huh. original. <laughs> they had a Renoir, okay. original. I believe they had several deceased Western artists. I don't care, remember if they had a C.M. Russell or a Remington or so forth. And finally, they got to Toulouse-Lautrec. No. And I said, oh, you have an original of Toulouse-Lautrec? So I said, well, you know, I think my work would be okay next to Toulouse. <laughs> Not the other guys, probably. <laughs> Not those other ones. Did you get to tell them that you studied over there and in Europe and lived all over I hope there? I did. Yeah. I hope I told them that. But there was a magazine. There was, a, like, art and architecture, Western art and architecture. There was another mag down there at the same time who wanted to do a story about this this family's art collection and they didn't want to do it of course because you're like publish, publishing that you own all this very expensive art and where you live yeah. in Pacific Palisades and yeah the insurance mm -hmm. I can't even imagine owning originals of those multi-million dollar pieces mm -hmm. in your house mm -hmm. no, and do you have the conditions the humidity control exactly. and the fires the right there along the coast exactly too. but i have to say i was very honored <laughs> to be part of their collection mm -hmm. and excited that they saw me paint it and they said they love quick draw these quick draw ideas because they know it's never going to be made into a mm -hmm. re reproduction or anything it's, mm -hmm. it's it's a one of a kind and that's it and it goes away and that's mm -hmm. hopefully I get a little snapshot of it before it goes away. So wow. I just wanted to tell that's you that story because it was, yeah, it was crazy <laughs> and wonderful. And, and they took the apron, they took the book. Oh. And they, yeah. That's so cool. Anyway, so that's a really great place, the Palisades. It's a beautiful place and it's being threatened right now with, with all the fire. Yeah. Right? In fact, I thought about them when I saw it on the news. I said, oh my. So what would you take out of that house? Because the Getty was, is right there, too. The Getty you know? is right there. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. maybe they've removed out. We have other friends who, in fact, one of the board members from the Russell, uh, Phil Drescher, who just recently passed away. Mm -hmm. Remember Phil? Yes. He has a lot of my artwork, and Marcia I'm very good friends with. And they've had to, I, I just called her, and I know she's still in a grieving mode, but she's, um, I, I thought, gosh, does she have to evacuate again with all that art okay. that they have? Yeah. They have a place up here. This might be a safer place to be yep. mm -hmm. for now. But she has family in Seattle and different places. Mm -hmm. so. wow. But yeah, they have a very large collection. collection. They do. Mm -hmm. 
maybe some of them will come to the Russell Museum. It might well. Their kids love art too, though. Mm -hmm. And their kids have actually commissioned art. Mm -hmm. So they're, they are some of the, they're post-millennial though. They're probably in their 40s and 50s mm -hmm. now. So. That's so great, the next generations. People don't commission, have you, do you do commissions? I do. Yeah? What's that I like, like? I like doing it. You I don't just feel like finished. someone's looking over your shoulder saying, no, put a little green in there. No, no. In fact, I just started a watercolor of uh, a locomotive for some mm -hmm. folks. A Canadian guy who sh has shipped large agricultural machinery across the great expanse of Canada. That's how he made mm -hmm. a living and did very well at it. He wanted some memento mm -hmm. of this, of this part of his life. So he just commissioned a very detailed locomotive. So it's watercolor, so I have to do, you know, all the bits and pieces. Yeah. If you go look at a locomotive when you go to town, mm -hmm. look at all the undercarriage of those darn mm -hmm. locomotives. I've done a couple. Yeah. Uh, this is a railroad town, so railroad paintings kind of do well here. Yeah. But yeah, I'm okay with doing a commission. And this one's been on the books for about a year and a half, and I told him I couldn't get to it right away because I was working on the big glacier thing, mm -hmm. but I'm doing the drawing, which is all, you know, cogs and the bells yeah. and whistles, all this intricate. Mm -hmm. And then sort of doing the watercolor a little looser behind it, and mm -hmm. idea of locomotive, don't make me do every bolt in mm -hmm. yeah. everything. <laughs> but watercolor, I chose the medium because it's a little, you can control it a lot better than silk painting. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? For, for mechanical things, mm -hmm. for mechanical things perhaps, I want to wow. say. Anyway, so yes, I do commissions. I do people wow. and their horses. But I said, I'm not going to make it look like you, but your horse will look a, a lot like your horse. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're blonde, I'll probably put the, your hat yeah, down. Yeah. and Because faces, faces with silk painting are kind of tough to do. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's very free-flowing stuff mm -hmm. and you yeah. get shadows. And it's like, whoop, mm -hmm. I just lost that eye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So Stella is your grandmother? She was my Texas grandmother. Oh, cool. Stella, De Ada, Thelma, and Della. Those were the really? three sisters who grew up on oh. this ranch in mm -hmm. Texas. I could talk like that. <laughs> she used to call me Nancy. 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 Yeah, she's a wonderful lady. Mm. Resilient, you know, lived through the Depression. Her husband died. She raised oh. three children. So she was definitely my... Uh, she's someone I, I looked to when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. You know, your parents, you need someone other than your parents. There's to, nothing like a grandparent. There's nothing yeah. like a grandparent and my knowledge. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about that too much, <laughs> but you're right. Now I'm the model for little Remy. So I dance around with her. She puts on music and I'm dancing. Mm -hmm. That's so I don't fun. think my grandmother danced with me. But, but she gave me, she was wonderful. Mm -hmm. She was wonderful. Because I just think of the Stella, the book in the cover of your Yeah, that is your book. Yes, that's and that's kind that well is certainly uh, in honor of my grandmother. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we still have any Stella, probably not. But yeah, this idea of her, mm -hmm. and she wasn't a rodeo rider, but she had to learn how to ride horses. Mm -hmm, sure. And she rode them to school, you know, wild-eyed. Mm -hmm. It was cold. There was a blizzard, and the horses. She said. Oh. She said. I look around and see this all this white in the horse's eye, and you know they were spooked uh, and, and a little bit scared. And she'd hold on for dear life mm. and get to school That's with her nice. little dresses in her leggings, you know, to Petty keep her from. Hetty, yeah, they had to wear dresses. Yeah. I mean, when I was in high school, they wore skirts. We had to wear dresses. We didn't dress wear pants school until I was in first grade, and then they changed it. And public you, schools, right. I could wear sure my little leggings. Well, then in the 60s, what I remember is everybody kept getting shorter and shorter mm -hmm. skirts, and we'd, we'd all roll our skirts up. I think they finally figured out yeah. maybe pants are not a bad idea. <laughs> they still have the finger girls sat in a row like this with the 
<laughs> Maybe that young math teacher yeah. didn't need this. Right. <laughs> Too much information. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, now they still have the fingertip rule where the skirt has to be. Do they? In private Do they? In private schools. Okay. Skirt has to be the fingertip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Oh, honey. Wow. Things have changed. Yeah. Thanks, oh, this is great. Oh, you're very welcome.